Welcome back to Truck Talk, everyone. You know, this is our last show of the year. We've now come up with 46 episodes of, of Truck Tech in our first year. And I, I hope that if you're here today, you've been here before. We, uh, we're happy to have you. I think it's, it's great. Uh, today's show, a little bit off track for us. Uh, well, off our typical track anyway. We're going to talk about autonomy, but in a little bit different way uh, with a uh, trucking consultant, autonomous trucking consultant, Richard Bishop. Uh, he represents, or doesn't represent, excuse me, he consults for uh, a number of different uh, trucking startups, autonomous trucking startups, including Plus and Gaddick and RRAI. He is a regular contributor to Forbes. And uh, and he recently wrote about an area of autonomy that gets a little uh, gets very little attention, which is the agricultural business. We'll get to Richard in just a couple of minutes. I want to I want to hit a couple of headlines for us uh, before we do that. The newest player in autonomous trucking, Stack AV, has formed its uh, safety advisory council. It's made up of third party experts and includes former FMCSA administrator Annette Sandberg. Uh, Stack also published its initial voluntary safety self-assessment, uh, which outlines the company's initiatives to uh, hold itself to high safety standards and you know transparency with the public and regulators and other stakeholders. We're still waiting to hear a bit more about what Stack AV is planning uh, from a Class 8 uh, autonomous uh, trucking space, but uh, at least they're starting to put some of these basic building blocks into place. Nikola has a new partner in hydrogen stations. The hydrogen-powered uh, fuel cell truck maker formalized a definitive 10-year agreement with uh, First Element Fuel to refuel trucks at FEF's hydrogen station in Oakland, California. This is important because the truck emphasis for Nikola right now is to sell its fuel cell electric vehicles in California first, a lot of incentives to uh, offset the cost of the $450,000 truck uh, before fueling, but having that fuel available is critically important. And so the FEF station it becomes part of their plan. Uh, FEF also um, fuels the uh, Hyundai Exient uh, test fleet that is uh, running out of the Port of Oakland right now. Okay, let's welcome in Richard. Uh, Richard, it is great to have you with us. It's been uh, some time since we've uh, known each other, and we run into each other at industry events and other places. I think you've uh, helped us on a few stories over the years, and it's uh, you know it's great to have you. I was fascinated, really, by uh, by your story, which we'll get to in a moment. But maybe you could uh, just get started uh, by giving us a bit of background on your consulting business and and how you're helping what appears to be a pretty disparate group of startups. <laughs> right. Uh, well, Alan, thanks for the invite. And what you've been doing at Freight Waves is one of the best information channels I have. So I appreciate what you guys are doing. Uh, I've been involved in autonomy since the 1990s. Uh, I won't go into all that. But uh, as um, as things kind of cranked up after 2010, I, I was, I've been surfing the, surfing the wave ever since. Uh, as a big picture player, uh, helping my clients understand the, the bigger picture, helping them talk to the people they need to be talking to, uh, and strategic uh, and regulatory focus. So big, big picture sort of guy. Um, and I'm very pleased to be supporting Plus for several years, uh, Gaddick as well, and Robotic Research, also known as RRAI, and, and several other folks. So that keeps me on the go and at the conferences, and uh, you know I'm constantly scouring the world for uh, for what's happening. 
one more quick addition. I, this year, I started uh, publishing a, what I call the Automated Driving Trends Report. Um, and um, so that my, my next version of that will be coming out in January. Well, yeah, I noticed that on your website, and I would I would point people to RichardBishopConsulting.com uh, uh, for more uh, on that. You know, I thank you for, for your kind comment about the work we're doing. I also find that uh, it's worth my time to read your post on Forbes.com. Um, you tend to go deep, which I think is, is, is pretty great. Uh, you know, just today, you know, I published my year-ender on, uh, on the autonomous trucking space and found that it was one of the longer pieces I had written because there was so much to write. As I told you off air, we didn't even get into things like AB 316, which is, you know, uh, the big fight in California over whether we're going to have right. autonomous trucking there. Um, you know, so people have to go back and read that story somewhere else, I guess. But anyway, I wanted to I wanted to get started there. Let's talk a little bit about what you did do for Forbes a couple of weeks back, I guess now, um, on agriculture and autonomy. Now, granted, it is not a freight issue for us, but I think there's some amazing carryover between that and some of the things you're going on at Thomas Trucking. Why don't you talk about that? Yeah, it, it is amazing. And I got into this because uh, thanks to my Forbes.com activity, I I, I'm on people's list, the PR people's list, as I'm sure you are, Ellen. And so John Deere wrote to me before CES earlier this year and says, hey, do you want to come to a little sit down with our CEO after they do the keynote at CES? And I just say, didn't have to think about that. Yeah, I'll do that. And uh, when I dove into that, it's just amazing what's going on out there. Uh, autonomous tractors have been around for a while, but they started off very basic, you know, just following GPS, no real situational awareness. And step by step, they've gotten to be extremely sophisticated. And, and what's particularly cool about the ag space is that retrofits are a key part of their, their sales plan. Can't do that with trucks, not, not feasibly if uh, financially. Um, and so they've, they've got a, a, a huge market to address, they don't have, and a plus, they don't have to wait on uh, any regulatory and all of those sorts of things. Um, and they have the, the the very same problem with with workers. Um, you know, they just can't hire the people they need. Yeah, you know, you you really went through more than just John Deere, I think, in in, in your piece. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I want to spend maybe ask you to expound a little bit on on how this went from sort of, uh, you know, measuring for say seed placement, you know, in rows and keeping things close, you know, down to the centimeter level. I, I remember doing some work when I was at General Motors on GPS uh, location. It was early stage stuff for autonomy with us uh, back in, in those days. And and so I think that, you know, this, I don't know if AI is actually into it now, if it's learning as it goes or not. Uh, what's happening there? Uh, yeah, AI is into it. Uh, but, you know, all of these things, the, the seed planting, precision, et cetera, uh, engineers could, I'm, I'm kind of speculating now, but I think this is true. Engineers with Deer and Agco and others could have developed, they probably did develop prototype systems 20 years ago that could do all this, but it was just too expensive, et cetera, for the sensors. Uh, so things have evolved partly because of uh, the automotive industry doing so much with ADAS, and then you've got the sensor prices coming down. So it just keeps cranking along, and it's a more benign environment for a product. Uh, 
maybe farmers wouldn't agree with me uh, because there, it's a rough uh, environment out there. But to get a product out, the, the hardening of the product is the, the challenges are not nearly as much as it is for the, the, the needs in, in the auto industry. And of course, uh, everybody who's developed uh, smart systems is adding AI to that. Uh, it, you know, it just makes sense. It's almost like, why would you do an automated vehicle without sensors? Of course not. It's, it's just another tool that is, has become established. Uh, long, really, several years ago, the, the generative AI that's in the general media headline is another animal, but classic AI is very much embedded in the ag tech world. Yeah. You know, since you're here, I think it's we got to take the opportunity to talk a little bit about autonomous trucking. I realize there's only so much you can say about, you know, the companies that, that you work with. But I do think that in general, it's been, uh, you know, quite a year. I, I came into the year sort of suggesting we were going to have a shakeout. I end the year saying, hey, we had a shakeout. We really did. And I, I guess, you know, in some some ways, uh, you know, we've got some new leaders now that, that are poised to, when I say leaders, to get to commercialization first. I want to get your take on kind of the overall environment. You've been around the space much longer than I have. Um, but, uh, you know, you've been around the space. You've seen it grow. You've seen uh, players come and go. You know, I mentioned in the headlines, uh, Stack AV, of course, that's Brian Seleski and his uh his cohort that mm -hmm. had Argo mm -hmm. AI, you know, and, and, you know, we, we saw it start out as uh, sort of passenger vehicles and move into trucking. Give me your overall sense of where things are headed, if you could. Yeah, um, it, it's been a tumultuous year. Uh, at the same time, uh, even though the news headlines focus on the negative, there are still uh, companies with significant strength. And you mentioned them. It's, it's, it's Torque. It's, it's Aurora. Um, in particular, uh, Kodiak has its strength. And, and we have enough uh, players, in, including these guys, uh, that, that have some, some heft behind them. Torque has Daimler, for instance. Aurora's kind of on its own in a way with, um, with, with the public, um, you know, public being publicly traded, but they have strong OEM relationships. RRAI has the, the Defense Department. A work that's really solid, and, and Kodiak has gotten into that space. So that's, um, I think that's important. And then, you know, that, those are long-haul players, generally. Uh, the the short-haul B2B, Gaddick continues to announce new customers. Gosh, it must be every couple of months or so. They, they are really on a roll uh, and, you know, very, I think, will continue to be the leaders in, in going driverless. Yeah, it's funny uh, on Gaddick, you know, we continue to say that, you know, they've got that market to themselves. They say it and pretty much everybody else agrees with it. I don't know who's going to challenge them and yeah. when, but at this point they seem to have the run of the table. Yeah, I, I had this uh, theory I was touting all of this year that Stileski would go for the short haul B2B. They'd be the Gaddick competitor. And, you know, they haven't said much about what they're doing, but by all indications, they're, they're going for long haul like the others have. But another surprise has been uh, Aurora in their third quarter report finally kind of stepped back into robo-taxi operations are saying it's on their roadmap. Once they launch the truck side and with all that highway-based experience, they're going to do uh, rides in, you know, limited number of routes, but rides uh, from like a city center to the airport and getting on the, you know, the freeways to do that. 
So that's kind of cool. I I was expecting that would come back. And the same way I expect Waymo's going to come back to driving, to truck driving or or sell off that piece, but that the strength that's within the Waymo IP is is going to come back to trucking at some point, not too long in the future. Well, you know, it's interesting with Waymo, and I pointed this out in my piece today, is that they had to be kind of gingerly talking about pulling back from autonomous trucking because they're still working uh, with with uh, Daimler on the redundant chassis. Yeah. And, you know, that work yeah. continues, even though, you know, most of the other stuff is, is sort of, uh, you know, gone by the wayside for now. But they never said we're leaving forever. And, you know, they could, I guess, yeah. come back, as you say, at some point. And for the longest time, I think, you know, uh, people like uh, Sam Abusimid, uh, you know, uh, talked about, you know, kind of Aurora and Waymo because they had, you know, both disciplines at play, uh, you know, being being the leaders. And, of course, uh, you know, we don't have time to get into Too Simple here, but Too Simple was arguably the leader and is now kind of giving up on the U.S. So what one thing, though, we've got about 45 seconds here. What one thing yeah. really knocked off your pins this year? Oh, gosh. Well, stack coming into the space. I was expecting it, but it's it's really cool. And anyone who says it's too late to get into this market is, is wrong because it's such a diverse market. Um, but we'll see be seeing a lot coming from Plus uh, next year. Uh, they're continuing to develop their level four and in addition to the uh, level two. And then the last thing I'll say is that um, the, the yard tractor world, which is a niche, but it's still important. For the first time, one of the developers has actually named a customer, um, and that's uh, robotic work. Uh, excuse me, robotic research working with a company called TSIS, a logistics player. Uh, at, at the first moment, first deployment will be just outside of Detroit near the CSX terminal. So um, all of these sectors are are, are rising and, and moving along steadily. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I and of course, I, I guess I, you know best the ones you're working with, and and I think you know Outrider, which former client, I guess, also continues to sort of every few months come up with something fresh and and new. And I'm hoping, I don't know if it'll work out. I'm hoping to get out to Colorado and see what they're doing. They have announced Georgia Pacific, I think, as a, as a customer, but and a number of others that they can announce or have not announced. They did have a big raise this year, you know, big capital raise, which uh, I think when you look at runway, that's what it matters. And the Aurora, you know, can talk about robotaxis again because they got a lot of money, right? And and that's something that is really tremendous for them. But uh, Richard, it's been great. Let's do this again next year. Let's talk again uh, on the show. Great to have you today. Really appreciate you being here. All the best and Happy New Year. So this is not a typical truck tech segment. This is something that is quite honestly, it's fun, it's different, it is a commercial vehicle, and it's called the Unimog. The Unimog from Mercedes-Benz dates to 1946. It got its three-point star, which you can see here, in 1951 when Mercedes, uh, when Daimler Truck bought the company. So what we've got with the Unimog is a vehicle that essentially is for severe duty. That's off-road stuff like oil oil work. It's uh, it's disaster relief. It's firefighting. These are the kinds of things that Unimog is meant for. They don't make a lot of these, about up to 20 a day. They go all over the world, and they're typically not purchased by individuals. These are commercial vehicles for the hardest things you can imagine, and we're going to get a chance to experience that.
My name is Klaus Lesnitz. Uh, it's hard to spell, I know, in English. <laughs> but don't worry, say finally Klaus to me. It's fine. Klaus, I want you to take me for a ride. I'm a little concerned yeah. here. This is a pretty bouncy thing we've got going on, right? Yeah, it's, not, it's a little bit tricky, but not too tricky. Imagine you feel safe in the Unimog. The Unimog can do it. It's no big deal for the Unimog here in this area. We can face much more difficult areas. So it's just for a demo ride, but we, as you can see, it's a little bit challenging, yes? Yeah. So uh, be prepared for it. Well, let's take a ride. Let's take a ride. All right, great. Enjoy. <laughs> I will give you now an impression in the U High Mobility Unimog UHE called, and we will have a short demo ride. Let's start the engine. Put on the tire pressure control system. Lowering down. The pressure, it says cross country, sand, button, snow, or emergency, and pre selected. Once again, it was too slow. I go now to cross country, confirm, and now the tire pressure lowers that. Further, switch in the gear here. Putting away the parking brake, release the parking brake, and we can go. But now we are in the on road gears. I will switch to the donkey mode, means off road gearbox. Now we are slower in total. So I'm in manual mode and we can go. And also for off-road purposes, we can deactivate the ABS system, but not completely, it's speed related. If the driver forgets it to switch it back on and over exceed 30 kilometer per hour, the ABS is still working again, even the switch mode. Okay, let's go. We start a little bit slower, otherwise it becomes shaky. The Unimog dates back to 1946, you said? Right. It's the introduction, that means the first prototypes were presented direct after the World War II. And the first units still had an C, it was a 180 gas oil engine due to the lack of availability of engines. And later on, for production purposes, they used the 180 diesel engine. But still had four-wheel drive, four single tires, and also the planetary axis. Was previously foreseen to use it as an agriculture unit. Because Germany should become an agriculture state. And that was the purpose originally of the unit. You are... You it got the Mercedes three-point star in 1951. In 1951, it took over the company from Böhringer. Böhringer was, uh, let's say, inventor of the unit. And in 1950, Böhringer ran out of production capacities, for example. And in 1951, Mercedes-Benz took over. And yeah, since then, since these days, we have now the star on the unit. Okay, you see, we are quite slow. I switch back now to give you an impression to the road gears. And if you press down, you automatically select the right startup gear. Makes it easier for the driver. Now we can a little bit more faster. If it's too shaky, let me know so I go slow. Oh, shaky doesn't begin to describe <laughs> it here. Okay. If you don't mind, I go a little bit faster. Okay. <laughs> 
Sure. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> There's also hot on inside. So the Unimog can even do more than the driver uh, is feeling well. <laughs> do they do you do sell these to civilians though, right? Yeah. What do they want them for? Civilians are being sold also some units for private owners for camping or expedition, for example. But of course, our main customers are converted customers. Sure. Is it exported to many yeah, markets? Yeah, worldwide. Worldwide. And you build about, what, 20 a day, you said? Up to 20 units completely per day, maximum. So it's a small amount of quantity. But like I said, it's like a workshop, not a production line in this case. in a differential lock, center lock, going for the rear axle lock, as well as for the front axle lock. And you see the warning signs here for the driver, okay, all three, uh, it's popping away, just a pop-up, you know, but here you switch it on. So, now two, two lockers right now, right? Yeah. Three, all three, three locks, locks, completely oh. locked. Oh my goodness. You see, it's an easy task for the Unimog. So it's quite convenient. I have a safe feeling. I know the Unimog can do it. When you are able to slow down the speeds according to your needs, you know we are not on a rally mission. <laughs> we are on a demonstration run. But of course, we could go faster here. But what is the top speed of the Unimog? Uh, up to 90 kilometers, which is officially allowed. 80. Officially 80. But for exceptions like firefighting, means Munis. Uh, Vehicles for official usage, let's say it in this way, can get an exception. 
Also, let's say to raise up for firefighting vehicles, uh, for example, up to 120 kilometer per hour. But of course, the tires need to match the speed. folks this is our 46th and final episode of truck tech for 2023 we've tried to bring you a variety of guests and a range of technology topics this year uh, we're excited for next year uh, when our first episode january 10th will be from the ces in las vegas um, we hope to be able to get several guests uh, for future shows out there and uh, until then we want to wish you the best uh, merry christmas and happy new year thanks for watching <laughs>